We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. I'm Alan Williams. I'm here with my co-host, James E. Virgilio. After what was a tumultuous early signing day for the Florida Gators, we're going to talk about it all. We're going to put it in perspective for you. We're going to talk about all those fun bowl games as well. But it's you know it's very close to Christmas here, James. We're days away. How are you feeling? It is. You heard the sleigh bells on the opening. I love Christmas. Uh, it's a great time of year, of course. Ideally, it's even better if Florida's really solid and it's in you know a playoff game. But we'll keep that on our Christmas wish list for the future. I'm doing uh I'm doing well outside of Gator football. Okay, but we have a lot to discuss today. Mm-hmm. A lot to try to figure out and analyze, as we have said. Since we started this pod nine years ago, win, lose, or draw, good or bad, there has never been a dull period for us on the pod, Alan. I mean, every time we take even just a two-week break, it's like the world changes. Can't be us. Right? Craziness. All right. As always, if you like this content, follow us on social media, sub to our YouTube channel for film reviews, and become a patron on Patreon where you too can drop us a dono. Shout out again. For this season of B-Red and Kari the Commissioner's work, can't say enough thanks to you for providing us with your wonderful services. The GNFP Sammy and GNFP Java Discord threads have been popping off all season long, and they've been definitely popping off in the past couple of days. Check those out if you're interested in discussing Florida Gators football content all season long. And then, of course, merch, which again, I, I'm happy to report, Alan, that the company we utilize to list our merch has written me multiple times now personally to kind of see what we're doing and why the merch is selling so well. Uh, and that's just a testament to you yeah, guys supporting sure. the show. We're doing so, nothing other than you guys are awesome. Yeah, putting it out there and spending some time creating it. But thank you so much for the support that way. We hope you're enjoying the gear. I'm wearing a GNFP hoodie right now. I actually really love the hoodies. They're warm and comfortable. Glorious. All right. No donos during this Christmas season, but no worries. Thanks for your support all year long. We greatly appreciate that. And still sitting on the throne is Barry Jenkins. Thank you, Barry, for being the throne sitter. We appreciate your support throughout 
this tumultuous period. All right. The rest of the legends here, James Ridge, Guy Tumbleson, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Jason Walker, the big homie, Lil Payne, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marshall, Lisi, Mike Wexter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galley, Jamie Galliano, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Emery, Craig Scrato, Alan Horn, Sidney Singleton, Kristen Moody, David Sugar, Percy Harvin Baby, and Doug and Lynn DiVergilio. There you go. All right, James. Has this been a tempestuous last few weeks in the DiVergilio household? Or have you been kind of zen about it? How you been feeling? So I'm sad. Sad. I feel, I feel sad. I just feel sad. You know, we'll, we'll uncover that. But you and I pour a lot of time and effort into this podcast. And I feel great about that. I love doing this podcast, even on days like today, when we're not going to bring you a number one recruiting class and necessarily the best news. It's great to talk about it, analyze it, try to find the the proper thread with which to pull on. But, you know, the reality is, Alan, we are, we are in the midst of a three-year losing run as a program. Mm. And in my opinion, we just took more L's from the, the period we said was so definitive for this Napier tenure, starting in early November, it's been L after L after L after L as a macro narrative. Have there been some micro wins? Yes, we'll talk about those. But generally speaking, it's just a trending down. And that makes me sad, as we're going to talk about, because it obviously increases the likelihood that Billy Napier is not going to be the guy for Florida, at least probability-wise, and that means you're even further away than you obviously hope to be when you started this process two years ago. Now, that's not set in stone, but that's where I am right now. I'm just It's just disappointing that Florida football is at an all-time modern low right now at this moment. That makes me sad. Yeah, that's a, that's a good note. I, it was definitely deflating. I think you kind of knew this was coming if you paid a, a, even a little bit of attention. But yeah, not a fun day as it just kind of lose steam and lose steam. And they're just, you know, there's some good things that happened. Of course, we can celebrate those. But if this was kind of thing we were hanging our hat on a little bit, right? So this recruiting class, if it was going to be top notch, it's like, okay, maybe this signals the future. This is the thing that Florida can build on after the brutal stretch to close the season. And again, those games don't matter if everything holds together. Well, it didn't hold together. So maybe those games did matter or maybe they didn't. It's hard to say exactly what's in the mind of recruits. It certainly didn't help. I'm confident of that. And, you know, I, it's, this is such a crazy time in college football. I am confident that in five years, the sport is going to be look very different from the calendar, the the college football calendar, which is crazy. It doesn't make any sense to, you know, NIL, playoffs, everything. It's just we're in this big flux and trying to navigate it is really hard. And I, I think it's probably as hard a time as ever to be a college football coach. And so it's complicated. And I like the people involved in this program a ton. And I really, really want them to succeed. And yeah, they're getting beat up a little bit. All right, ready to talk some recruiting? This is the early the day after the early signing day. I'm sure you guys are aware of all this information. Just some of the highlights here. Uh, I'm actually not sure how to 
pronounce his name, but Xavier, Xavier Filsam, Filsemi. Uh, depends on how how French you want to get there. I love that you had to pronounce this name because we all know what I do with names. So Alan, great same. Um, I can say it as French as you want me to. Just call him X. 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 That's what everyone's been calling him. Uh, flips to Texas earlier in the week. Five star player in the class. Highlight of the class, really, or one of the highlights. Um, that was been trending. Obviously, Florida had lost some other guys, some top 100, top 150 guys in the previous weeks, and then on signing day, uh, you know, flips are. Ardarius Hayes, linebacker Mars Williams, Isaiah Williams, kind of out of nowhere. Um, some of those expected, some of those not, I think. And just some tough news as you watch Florida's kind of overall class tumble a little bit. Now, again, it, they wouldn't start the day at number three, but a couple of weeks ago, not that many, not that long ago, Florida's at a lofty number three. And you know, really, the only place they were going to go from there was down. So you understood there might be a little bit of attrition and maybe you gain somebody, but you're hoping you maintain that relative stature. And again, we're going to get to the tier system, which I love. I grow an appreciation for that every year because it's not tied to the relative ranking. So 16 sounds way worse than third. We're going to put it in perspective. What does that actually mean? Um, those numbers don't always tell the story, but the the big news actually, let me get out away from the negative stuff is Florida does land its two most important players. DJ Lagway and LJ McCray, Lagway quarterback, of course, McCray defensive lineman. And they do pick up a couple of commits, Jaden Baugh running back, who apparently beat Bam out for. You never know if that's true. And then Gregory Smith, the safety signs as well. Um, so just to like put it in the tier system, and I'm going to ask you some questions here. Um, so again, finishes 16th in the composite. Uh, I did a little math there, ninth by average player rating. Um, there's a team behind us actually who's a higher. So Florida only took like 18 commits in this class. So that, that will tell the story a little bit why they're so low in the relative ranking. Um, but two top 30 ish players, five total top 100 and only eight top 300. So doesn't quite make it up into the, you know, the, at the heights of where we were. So James has played this at a tier 2.25. So just really splitting hairs there, but not a good class, but not the elite class that Florida was aiming at. So how do you feel about this class? Yeah, the most disappointing three weeks leading up to a signing day and signing day of my time following Florida football. Uh, There's no other way to say it. We lost six, six blue chip players. If you look at almost any, anyone who put out a publication of yesterday's results, Florida was a loser on all of them. All of them. Wildly disappointing. With that being said, some context, what has happened with recruiting? 2021, tier 2.5. 2022, Billy's first class, tier 4. Most of them gone now. Uh, 2023, tier 2.5. And then 2024 is tier 2.25. So there is a slight improvement there, but the improvement that we were hunting for the three-legged stool we've talked about where two legs were missing and and now this one needed to be tier one and a half. You have to be tier one and a half or better to win a national title. Now this year, Alan, Washington and Michigan will be vying for the right to break the tier system 
breaks not the right word, but become sort Defy of it. yeah, become an asterisk on it and say occasionally there's there's someone that breaks through, but they they'll be the first to get outside of that if they actually pull it off. If not, it will it will reign true. So Florida still remains outside four years in a row now, the sort of needed recruiting level when we were there. Florida was at a tier one, at worst a tier 1.5. And so I can't find any other way to describe this other than disappointing. Compounding matters here, Alan. We are sixth in the SEC in average player rating because we play in the SEC, Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. We are eighth overall in the SEC. If the two legs of the stool, which are going to be a winning culture, and on-field success are already seemingly weak. On-field, very weak. Culture, hard to know because you're not winning, but certainly not winning. If you don't have a coach who can make up for significant talent discrepancies, it's hard to see Florida anywhere other than exactly what their recruiting says they are. Somewhere between 8th and ninth in the SEC. And that's realistic and expected of this coaching staff, and that is why I'm sad. Now, You have some micro bright spots here, which are important to talk about because Florida's class this year, Alan, resembles some of what Dabo Sweeney's done in the past with his classes. Yeah, I think this class is appreciably better than the previous, like let's call them the Mullen classes, which when you peek under the hood of those, were just kind of full of nonsense that every year have players who are not going to like even enroll. And when you're saying that, it's not necessarily, if you go look at the recruiting rankings overall without doing what we're doing here to get into tiers, talk about who stays or leaves, Mullins might look better if you just look at that. Or just the same. It's like, oh, he's recruiting just the same. Right. Okay. I was going to say, you have to look at that because if you just look at it at a glance, you might think, wait a minute, Alan, that's not true. I'm looking at the numbers. Napier has been worse than Mullins. Right. So, or comparable, right? Not, Not any better, not any worse. And what is that if Dan Mullen was, if we fired him because he wasn't a good recruiter? Now, Billy... I think to get to where he wants to go has to do better than this, but I don't, I've seen that kind of narrative and I, I will, I don't love that. Like, I think this is better because it hits some metrics that Mullins did. Again, I, I think those classes were largely like inflated by some guys who weren't going to actually be on the team. And largely by and large Mullins top players almost never played for Florida yeah. in general. Yeah, it's kind of weird. So, and again, that could happen with this class too. All of them could be gone by, you know, the there's some guys in those Mullen classes like Chris Steele, who was here for like two weeks. Uh, some other guys were here for a month, whatever. So again, we could be talking about that in a month from now. But uh, I do think some interesting things, the top players really represent some of the top needs, right? So you look at quarterback, defensive lineman, tight end, an highly rated offensive tackle. Those are... An, Again, the premium positions on the team. Oh, linebacker, excuse me, which is not a premium position, but is a big need for this team. Two top 100 linebackers. That, I think, again, you can't always line that up completely. You have to go after the guys who you can get to come. But that makes this class, I think, more valuable to Florida than it is on the outside. And then signing a top 10 QB, that is worth way more than signing like a top 20 safety or whatever. I mean, just in terms of its impact on your football team and its ability to change your direction. I mean, Urban Meyer has said this a million times as a Florida legend that, you know, if he doesn't sign Tim Tebow, what is that? What does the next few years look like? Does Florida ever get anywhere? And I don't want to put that on DJ Lagway's shoulders that he has to become the next Tim Tebow. But if you have a top 
quarterback, that that means that you are probably competitive. If you don't, you're struggling. So for Florida to still land him, despite all the people coming at him, despite Florida's struggles, I think is worth an immense amount. Now we'll see. He could get here and we could go, hmm, not that good. Or maybe he's here for a season he leaves. There's two five stars in the portal from last year, Dante Moore and Malachi Nelson, who are very highly recruited guys and are already in the portal and for not understandable reasons either. So, uh, yes, I think that this this class has a chance to outperform its relative ranking. But again, if you could you could do a diagnosis for other classes and probably look at them again, the 16th like relative ranking is largely because Florida only has 18 commits. Some schools have 27. Miami, Miami. has like 27, 28. Yeah, Florida's player rating higher than Miami's. Of course, fewer players, it's easier to have that. But Florida's player rating also fell quite a bit because of the the blue chip departures. Right. And there. But I would say I, w- I wouldn't have wanted Billy just to fill this with some guys that they didn't believe in. No, if that's This is the pointless. portal now. You can... Pointless you can backfill your roster much easier. So again, I would rather us be taking 20 to 25 high school guys every year and only a few portal guys. But in the interim, this is, it's not the worst thing. No, uh, it's not. But I think for me, the narrative here is pretty simple. We talk about hiring coaches on this podcast through one lens and one lens only the goal to win a championship. Mm -hmm. And while this represents something fine and nice, by some program standards, amazing, right? If you're Ole Miss and you recruited out Florida did this year, that is a coup. But we are not Ole Miss. Ole Miss, by the way, killing it in the transfer portal. But for Florida, he now, Napier being he, is trending right in where, and I don't want to say this callously, overall is trending more or less right in where anyone who's coached at Florida has trended. Now, much better high-level talent and better average player rating. We're going to keep saying that because that's true. That's why we use the tiers. But for me, the takeaway is this. We mentioned that there were two legs missing, and now, for me, Alan, the third leg is also missing. So we have a stool that is completely legless for Billy Napier. And this was supposed to be his specialty. What does Billy Napier do? He recruits. And look, I think it's fair to say that Billy Napier, pre-COVID, NIL, the modern football game, would have probably been consistently finishing in the top five. I believe that to be true. I think that is true. I think this situation is the perfect storm for him and how he wants to run his program, and it's adversely affecting what's happening to him. I want to say as a quick aside, I have never been more disillusioned with the state of college football. And I've alluded to this before, and this is not because Florida is not signing a number one class. It's actually irrelevant. Even if we were signing a number one class, I love football, Alan, more than any other sport because it is the ultimate team sport. It's the ultimate team sport. It takes 11 guys working as one on each unit. It takes selflessness. It takes commitment to something bigger than yourself. It takes sacrifice for the team. And it takes a committed daily effort to get better as a unit. And football is being torn apart at the seams right now because of the lack of structure that is both best for the athletes and best for the coaches. And it is eating itself alive to where we have a mercenary 
on all sides, seemingly set up with no loyalty, no commitment, no perseverance through hardship, no self-sacrifice for one another to where every single person is giving me the quote, do what is best for myself. Well, I have, I have a message here for those of you that only want to do what's best for yourself. If you live that life and your life that way, you are utterly alone. It is literally just yourself. And that is no way to live life. And it's also no way to play football. And you can't win playing football that way. And I am so disillusioned with the modern state of football. It just makes me more sad. So it's like I'm just in a place of sadness for the overall totality of football and for Florida's performance and for Billy Napier. You know, we root for every coach that gets hired here. We want Florida to win. Our goal is to do its best for the program. And right now, there's just not a lot for me to hang my hat on. State of football, state of Florida. It's just it's just frustrating. It is. And yes, with the I mean, it's just a combination of of the relaxation of NIL and the transfer you know, rules around, you know, one-time transfer stuff that has created this level of chaos. And I think the incentives are all wrong. And we talk about that kind of stuff a lot. So there just needs to be structural changes and there's not an easy way forward. And we're in this bad, like middle ground here. And it's weird to be, yeah, lamenting this class. It's funny as I'm scrolling through and looking like how, if you just say like, oh, Florida had two five stars and you know, five overall top 100 players. What are they ranked? It's like probably not 16th. So the, some of the outlines in this class don't really mix in with where it lands. And so part of that is a lot of guys outside the top 500, but yeah, it's, it's very strange, right? So there's, and again, I think it's sometimes it's all about money. Sometimes it's not as some of our Intel, I think on some of these guys, for a couple of them, it was just straight cash, right? That there's better deer somewhere else. You know, for other people, you know, the cash is the same and there's just better fits. There's closer to family. Um, and sometimes I do think Florida's in their momentum hurt on some of these 50-50 things where hey, the money's the same. The schools are great. They like the people. This program seems like it's in a healthier place. And so when you drop those games like we did, when you don't close, like, again, Florida could be an eight-win team right now pretty easily. And the coaching staff and the current players, that didn't happen for them. And, you know, sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. There, there's tough breaks, but that – and this is a, a results-oriented business. Um, and so that's tough. And I do believe in the big picture. There's I'm reading a Bill Walsh book right now called The Score Takes Care of Itself. Like if you do the right things, you will ultimately win a lot of games. So you have to be process oriented. You have to do things the right way. You have to do things with integrity. I wouldn't want to do it any other way. But ultimately, you might find out that you're not the right man for the job or the right group for the job if you don't end up moving forward. So I don't know. I Again, it's not like... This if this was just an aberration over a long, it's like oh weird, sixteenth though they lost some guys weird nil stuff okay they'll be fine, they got some really good players but this is just when you're looking at trajectory, it doesn't set the right trajectory. 
No, no, it's not. It's not a championship trajectory. And that is is the frustrating part of it. And, and it was there, right? That was the thing we were hanging mm-hmm. our hat on is it, he's got it. But also we mentioned how important November was, the Arkansas loss, et cetera. And, and, and look, recruits have lots of reasons why they might want to go somewhere, but make no mistake about it. Losing games in the way Florida has lost games creates a wonderful opportunity for your rivals and other coaches to say, Billy's probably done after this year. Billy's not a winner. The program you're going to is not a winner. And you're going to find yourself one year from now having to find another school because your program is going down. Mm-hmm. And that may or may not be true, but that's an easy, easy thing to sell on. And if I was coaching Georgia or Alabama or Auburn or LSU or Florida State or Miami, I would absolutely say that because look, Alan, factually, the reality is the probability that Billy's days at Florida are over is way high. It's infinitely higher than him not having his days be over. Whatever number you assign, even if you're a true optimist, it's still at least 50%. Right. So if you're a coach, you're saying, look, what's the best case for your guy? 50% odds he's there? I'm Kirby Smart. I'm going nowhere, right? And so for Florida to be in contention for the guys they were was always sort of miraculous in a certain way, given how we've performed in the past three years and given how Billy's performed in general. And so all that being said, in some ways, this class is still a miracle. The fact that Lagway is here through all of this, through watching the class fall apart, through watching six guys go and leave is a miracle. And to your point, Alan, it's worth hammering home. There is no more important position than quarterback in football or in all of sports. We did get the biggest crown jewel that we needed, but it comes at a time when Billy's tenure is hanging on by a literal hair. Right. And what does that now look like for next year? You know, Caleb Sturgis said to me, he was shocked Graham Mertz stayed because if the narrative on Napier is right and things were going to fall apart, he has to play Lagway next year, in theory, to try to prove he's got something for the future. Not speculation by Caleb's part, but that's that that's speculation everyone is going to start parroting. You may not have the luxury of playing Mertz all year, going five and seven and surviving to year four. So there's just a lot of things going on here for Florida football. None of them have easy or obvious or positive answers, but the fact that he did maintain, at least for one year, these guys can go anywhere, right? Two top 30 recruits two guys that are top at their own positions at very important positions perhaps indicates that if he can have a good year next year, which seems unlikely that maybe the following year is the year you get a boost on. Right. Right. And so what's different about Billy versus even let's say McElwain Mullen is that like they never sniffed that territory. Florida was there. They had the class in place and they couldn't hold it. So um, if you're if you're hopeful that Florida could do this again, to have at least been there for a second, right? And maybe if they continue to iterate on this process, they could do it. They could hold on to it with better results. Again, so our basically people have Billy pre-fired because they just look at the schedule next year like he's not going to win enough. But that kind of analysis presupposes that like everyone else is dumber than you are, right? That no one else could look at that and go, the schedule is super hard. We we compared. Four schedule the Missouri schedule last night, and it's like Missouri's going to walk into eight wins. And four schedule is crazy, and you can criticize it again. It's it was formed a long time ago, and it it's also part and parcel to SEC changing. 
But I think we could look at next year's team and they could go six and six against the schedule and we could be really excited. And I, I don't know. So I don't I don't want to pre fire Billy yet. I really see excited it. might not be the right term. Okay. Well just depending on <laughs> again, we're we're playing the back half of the schedule is against the current. No, we're like, we are in so yeah, you that, split that's, those games right. and you win the games you should. Right. And the young players are still exciting and you and the class is and again, if you have the same recruiting trajectory, you're like, Okay, I'm I'm buying back in again. Right. He he's you know, you and I Alan love the show Survivor still. I know a lot of you think that's crazy, right? Like wasn't that two decades ago? Yes, it was. But right now, Billy Napier is surviving day by day on the island. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have point. he doesn't have many chips left to play. He has no real alliances. He's by himself, just hoping to find a way to make it to tomorrow. And can he get to year four that way? And we said from year one, this is going to be four years. The way he's approaching it, the way he's building it, the way he's clearly hoping for it. He's planning for four years. Well, his four years are are looking in serious jeopardy. And to your point, he's going to have to survive on the island day by day, doing just enough to earn himself a fourth year against a brutal schedule. Like you said, he has no favors being done to him where he gets mm-hmm. to walk into a Missouri-like schedule where Florida probably does win eight or nine games by default. And okay, we feel better. He doesn't have that. So it is going to be the ultimate test of his mettle and his toughness yeah. to handle this year when this is the greatest challenge a college coach can have. Right. Living in a city where people are slowly losing belief in you, even if they want you to succeed, you're not getting any wins when you need them. Your staff, as we're going to talk about, is in the midst of significant change and turmoil. And the outside narrative is that you're a dead man walking. Nothing can be harder. So we'll see if he can pull a Lazarus right. here and resurrect himself. But you know, signing day was that hope, was that glimmer to grab onto and say, look, Florida's a top five class. He's getting it going. It's going to happen. And instead now, it was a collapse at the finish. It was a fourth and 17 completion five, six times in a row where we lost what we needed. And that there's just no way to sugarcoat the difficulty that that is going to cause. Perception does equal reality in these things. Right. And the reality for Florida is it's a program that is on fire right now. Not in a good way. All right. So one more thing. Uh, I don't know how many times I'm going to quote this uh, Bill Walsh book over the next year, but he's the, the very beginning of the book. He talks about his low point. Uh, so their first season was a train wreck. They won like two games. The 49ers were kind of a mess of an organization when he took over. The next year they had been kind of up and down and then they lost several straight and they had a chance to like, they're playing the Dolphins in Miami. It was a massive game for them. They lost on just a heartbreaking fashion. And on the way, on the flight back to San Francisco, he was like, he like broke down. He was like crying on the plane. And he was like, this is the low point. And then he had to just continue to like battle from like moment to moment to get them. And they, because it's like they have another game the next week. And they won that game and they won a couple more. And then the next year they won the Super Bowl. Now I'm not predicting the Gators win the national championship, but they had the stuff in place and they just had to ride out those really tough because every this is football and you're playing the SEC is similar. Every week is a battle. And you have to win enough of them. And if the process is right, again, Billy's right, the Billy process is method. We'll see if it pays off even next year. Yeah. Doesn't feel right right now, but we'll no. talk more. We'll give it like an encapsulation at the it, end yeah. of all these discussions of where we think we'll play that same litmus test we played earlier where are you zero to ten with confidence in billy and what does the future look like so we'll get to that if you're wanting the big picture narrative we'll get there we're going to walk through some other events of course that have occurred okay the other thing that's happening during this time is the portal 
A lot of portal activity for Florida. Um, some of this is not new news. But once you walk through these players, starting with Ty Bowman, and I'll I'll do the Hurts helps. All right, so we've already named, of course, the other ones on previous. Mm-hmm. Odom, Kamari, Max Brown, Will Norman, Caleb Douglas, uh, Andrew Savinia, and then Chris McClellan. Those I've talked about. Uh, while we were gone, while we were away, yeah. if you will, we've had Ty Bowman, uh, Jordan Herman, Jalen Farmer. Going Perkins Ken- we just hadn't mentioned, but he ended up at Toledo. He had Toledo, yep. So Farmer's at Kentucky. Uh, Herman's at Charlotte. Perkins at Toledo. Princely, which is just so painful. Uh, at Ole Miss, we'll talk more about that in a second. ETN, who you know, wow, yeah, rumored Georgia, but more pain there. Right, part of the uh, ET offense, he's out. Miguel Mitchell transferring. That's we'll talk about. I'm gonna have we'll evaluate each one of these, and then staying is Cam Jackson going pro is Kingsley. Yeah, we've talked about those guys, and we talked about those two guys. All right, so Alan, I want you to just let's just go through each one and give me your evaluation on whether this is good, bad, or neutral for Florida. So Ty Bowman leaving the program. Yeah, this is probably helps in terms of roster. You know, building. Yeah, helps in roster building, correct. Jordan Herman. Again, helps. This guy's probably never going to play for Florida. Yeah, helps. Jalen Farmer. This guy's kind of intriguing. You see him getting picked up by Kentucky. That could be a player. Again, hadn't played for Florida yet. Wasn't able to break through. So it's probably fine, but I'm going to label it neutral. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. Perkins? Yeah, I mean, it's fine. Yeah, fine. That was a guy who, again, he's just been gone the entire season. He couldn't get lined up correctly. Yeah. He had talent man to man, couldn't get lined up correctly. All right, Princely. Man, okay. This one is such a, a difficult one. And part of the reason, you know, the NIL, the NIL, NIL stuff is tough. The portal like, kicks me harder, right? So there's some good things about the portal. Some guys do need to transfer down. You show up at a place like Florida and it's like, okay, you need to be in a group of five situation. And there's some group of five players who it's great that they have an opportunity to come play at a bigger stage. When you move laterally-ish, it's hard not to feel that's just a total mercenary move. And it's not, and again, if your coach gets fired or like, there's there's some life circumstances like um, back in the old days, we had to get a, you know, uh, a waiver. Uh, my mom is sick or something. There's there's other reasons to transfer. But when it's just like I'm lightly or largely dissatisfied and I'm going to move sideways, this is where it really hurt, hurts college football. I don't, no one's like, uh, man, Ty Bowman, I, I can't believe he left. Right? Or even a guy who maybe played a decent amount, but it's like, all right. But when you have the leaders and stars of your team transferring to like similar programs, that's where you start to erode like love and culture. And this is what college football is about. So there's, this is a dangerous thing that's happening in college football. Recruiting has always been a silly, crazy thing, but the transfer of like established stars in this free agency kind of thing is not good for anybody. That all, that's my mini rant right there. But Princely losing Princely at this stage of Florida's development is absolutely brutal. And don't let, Someone tell you otherwise. Yeah, horrible. This is awful, terrible. I don't care that we thought he was going to go pro as a staff. That's like saying that you thought Tom Brady was going to retire. And then when he chose to stay and he left your team, you didn't care anymore. Because, oh, I thought he was going to stop playing this year. I already counted him as gone. Well, he comes back to you, says he wants to stay. You go, right. Great. 100%. Absolutely. What do we need to do to keep you here? Right. We're here. And I'm with you, Alan. Of course, we could talk about structure. I think a simple fix to some of this stuff is, hey, you know what you can't do? You can't transfer to another Power 5 school. 
You can transfer down all you want. Go down. You can't transfer laterally. It's like a non-compete clause. That would change a lot of the silliness of what goes on for this mercenary hunting. That's not going to happen because we can't do that kind of stuff, right? But those are things you could do. You could say to stop kind of the madness. But in this case, to look at what happened, and we're going to cover this in a second. I don't want to get too far ahead of it, but for Princely, this matters. To look at what happened with firing Spencer, with not announcing a replacement until basically signing day, seemingly whiffing from what I understand on multiple of your top D-line targets. And look, I love when people send me the message board comments. They're my favorite. Things like, hey, trust the process. The names you're going to see the D-line are going to blow your mind. It's such a massive improvement. Then we get who? Who do we get, Alan? Remind me. Who? That's what all of you said. Who? Because that's right. Who is our new D-line coach? Is just a guy. And I hope he kills it. But he's a dude. He's a young dude. He's not very experienced. He's just a guy. Not some mega name, not some stud. And it's not a great look when Princely's on social media saying, yeah, I might still come back to Florida depending on the coach. These are just incoherent, poorly organizationally run things. This is a failure of management. This is terrible across the board. And to lose your best and most productive player on defense when you are in the midst of a rebuild to an SEC West team that, oh, by the way, as a coach who a lot of Florida fans would love to have, who was our other top candidate for the job, is the worst look that you can have. And there's no way to dress that up. Florida is in a talent dearth. We need all the talent we can get. And we just let one of our best players walk out the door. And he's somewhere else. Yeah, And that is rough, no matter how you look at it. position like edge rusher. A premier or, position on the football Yeah, team. and ETN, obviously, he's beloved by Florida fans. I mean, running back is not as valuable position. It's not as valuable. But if you have a guy who's a plus guy, obviously you can swing games for you. You want that guy. We, we talked about building a whole, half of an offense around him. At this stage, you have to keep guys like that. And the, if the reasons, the rumors that he's leaving are true, it's also stupid. Right? It's, doesn't, it's not a good look for him. And it's not a good look for the coaching staff. So no. bat all around. No, I mean, RB2 in the case of ETN, right? His mom says that on Twitter. We have been saying it all year long. And I look, I've heard you guys about the pass pro. I don't know where this became the major narrative about ETN's pass pro being so bad. It's not as good as Montreal's. But you know what? It doesn't matter. We're a super deficient team who ETN was one of our best and most electric players on the football field. You can worry about fine-tooth combing pass pro when your team is complete. And you don't need home runs. When you need home runs, you have to take more risk. Florida's team needed to take more risk to score last year. And look, if you think losing ETN doesn't matter, it matters significantly for two reasons. One is perception. What does that say to other recruits? You recruited ETN, Alan. That's a Napier guy who's willingly leaving your program because of he wants to win or dissatisfaction or whatever else. And this may occur sometimes, but this guy's getting a lot of play. So Princely and ETN together were two of the top five overall transfer portal players coming off of a five and seven football team that needs talent. And yes, if we just look at ETN, can you largely replace him with Montreal? You can. Statistically, it'll look kind of similar. You're going to get good production out of the running backs, like you mentioned, right? All those things are true. But we we cannot be losing fan favorite quality football players in the midst of 
their development where the junior year should be his best year and then say, no big deal. We can just replace him and with Montreal. Again, it's so dumb. The touches thing is like so dumb. Like from both sides. It's yeah. so dumb. It is dumb because like you said, and you say it all the time in the NFL, you're going to be in a timeshare. Almost certainly. And also sort. your draft stock is higher if you don't have Less the content. mileage on you. And, and also, you know, look, I'm not saying ETN's great in pass, but he's not. That's not what I'm saying. But again, sometimes when we when players leave us, it's very easy to let your heart get in the way and be like, yeah, we didn't need that guy. We're better off without him. That is not true. It's just factually not true. A surefire way to lose football games is to lose talent. To lose talent. The next guy up mantra in football is a nice, cute meme. It's really fun. Hey, this guy works really hard and practices all the time. We, we trust him. He's capable. Great. You know what? He's not as capable as your starter. He's not as capable as your all-pro guy. Zach Wilson is not Aaron Rodgers. Next man up, not Aaron Rodgers, right? You have to keep your star players, Alan, and that is brutal. So obviously we've said enough on that, but that's brutal. Both those guys, brutal, sickening, horrible look. It just continues to look like the house is on fire, right? Miguel Mitchell. Right. I, this is probably, I'll say a neutral. I know he didn't have his best year on film this year, but he's still a young guy who's played a lot. And you're going to have to replace him with a decently high end guy. So it doesn't kill Florida, but I don't think it helps Florida either. I don't think, yeah, on film, I don't think this guy had it given the reps I've seen, not a guy that I would want to start or or trust to play. Uh, So I'm happy that he moved on. I think that's, you got to find somebody. You lose some depth, but at the end of the day for Florida, if that's your depth piece, you're, you're not in a great spot anyway. You should be able to find better depth. And that's just disappointing considering where we thought he might go. And that's right. And that's, it's a miss. It's a miss on the recruiting point to your point and he's can he play is he athletic enough yeah but he just he hadn't put it together yet all right obviously we covered cam jackson staying that's massive majorly important and then kings are going to probably have covered too so we got some incoming transfers tell us about what we have here on the incoming side so not a lot but brandon crenshaw dixon offensive tackle from san diego state joey slackman a defensive tackle from penn i don't know how to say our one of our guys here trickwezi bridges safety from oregon and Chimray DK, wide receiver from Wisconsin. If you watch some Graham Mertz film, you probably saw this guy. Um, so if I just like squint here, offensive tackle, defensive tackle, safety, wide receiver, this is like some of the stuff we need. Right? I would love to see a corner. Um, I would love to see a linebacker. I would love to see more offensive linemen. I, we need a rush end. We need lots more stuff. If you zoom in a little bit, again, I have not watched these guys play. Other than I've seen a little bit of DK. These guys don't necessarily knock your socks off, right? And doesn't, it doesn't mean that because they come from small schools, right? You know, Florida fans should know this. Uh, Osiris Torrance coming from the Sun Belt becomes a you know day two NFL pick and is starting as a rookie. Now, those guys aren't everywhere, but you can take guys, just because a guy's from San Diego State or Penn doesn't mean he's not an incredibly valuable player. We have Cam Jackson coming from Memphis. We're really stoked that he's here, right? But these guys don't necessarily profile as like game changers. Um, and I think Joey Slackman was, you know, much sought after apparently coming over from Penn. Uh, we'll see about the rest of them. Um, and Florida has more work to do in this area, but not, not like a blazing start. And this, I think, begs the question of kind of what similar to what happened last year is Florida seems really slow out of the gate. I know they want to be methodical and they don't want to miss on portal guys. Again, you 
you don't want to misevaluate and uh, and take guys who you don't actually end up helping you. And they, well, they did that this year too. So I can't say that there's some guys who they took who didn't really see the field, but or shouldn't have seen the field, <laughs> even though they did some. But yes, I think this staff's approach to the portal has left a lot to be desired as well. Boy, that's putting it lightly, isn't it? Uh, I, I think it's safe to say that, that at this point in time, we have enough data to know that Billy Napier fancies himself as Dabo, as Nick Saban, as Kirby Smart, guys who don't really want to take portal players. Now, Nick Saban will cherry pick like the top one or two guys. Dabo has been on record right multiple times over saying, hey, I don't, I don't really want to deal with the portal. That's not my style. And... I think that's where Billy is. I think the data says that's the case. Uh, obviously, if we were playing in the Sun Belt, Allen, these pickups would be really nice, but we're playing in the SEC. Well, one or two of these hit, maybe. You know, you get a backup guy at Oregon. You get a, a marginal guy at Wisconsin. You get a guy in Slackman people like from Penn. He could be solid. I like that pickup. And you get an O-Tackle who could be solid. You know, a third-team All-Mountain West guy at San Diego State. Well, but Probably an improvement on what we currently have. I agree, have. and that's okay. But again, we, we, need, we need SEC-level starters to compete. But ultimately, I think the portal approach is wrong. It's just wrong. And this goes back to my commentary on Anthony Richardson, coached by Billy Napier. Billy Napier is seemingly so systematic at times that he cannot see the forest from the trees. It's possible that he does not have a tactical bone in his body. And perhaps in the offseason, he might want to consider what it looks like to be tactical as a football coach. Because I love process, Alan. The Bill Walsh book, I love it. I totally agree with that statement. The score takes care of itself. But you have to be a tactician sometimes. You have to look at your roster and say, I am incredibly deficient right now. And Bill Walsh was a tactician too. He was a master tactician. And you give your team the best chance to win. And Billy, starting with AR, moving on to where we are now, just seems like, hey, trust me, eventually I'm going to get to where I want to go. I'm a turtle moving at one mile an hour. And eventually we're going to wake up and have a great football team. And along the way, I am not going to violate my sacred rules of Dabo and Saban and Kirby, who you, Billy, are not yet. You're just not that guy yet. We're not that program yet. You have to make it work until you're there. And we have not seen that from Billy. And that has, I think, been a significant portion of why he struggled so mightily. And other coaches, Alan, I think would have been in the portal saying, I need to improve my roster drastically to win next year. But once again, it looks like to me, Alan, as best I can predict it, something we said in year one is true. Billy wants to win football games. No doubt about it. He wants to win every football game. No doubt about it. But I have a hard time believing that from day one, he has not simply circled year four in his calendar and said, that's the year when I have my pieces. I'm going to win then. And until then, it's the process. Well, you may not make it to year four. And this portal approach is not it for where Florida's team is. It's just not it. It's not enough. We're missing opportunities. And meanwhile, you look at Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin, on social media with yeah, the adapter survive, picking up nine dudes, picking up quality SEC level players. Big time guys, but they're also not recruiting high school level at the no, same time. No, they're rate. not. And this these things fall at the but, same time. You know, this Ole Miss is really hard. Finishes twenty first, which is historically about where they are in recruiting. We we talked about Lane Kiffin not being a great recruiter. It's proven to be true. But look, yeah. at the end of the day, I don't want to like sit here and, and sling punches from our podcast chair. I know that Billy's giving everything he has, but the portal strategy, in my opinion, Alan is a failure 
for how other teams are using the portal and where the state of Florida's roster is at. If we're Alabama, if we're Georgia, fine. We've got an established program, but we need help along the way. And I just don't see that we're getting enough of it. And I don't see any urgency. Where is the urgency to improve this football team right now? I mean, that it's, it doesn't appear to be urgent. Again, it's hard to uh, devote all, like enough resources to fix every problem. But whatever portal strategy they're using, it makes it slow seemingly. I don't know. Like they're gonna have to. We thought they might take a hard look at that after last year. It doesn't seem like it's been all that different. No, I don't think it's different at all. That's the point. I think if if we can probably get him to admit it publicly, I think he's gonna say he doesn't. He doesn't really have much of an interest in the portal. He's identifying some guys, but anyway. I don't know. We need more, man. We need a lot. This team is this team is far from having a margin of error where you can confidently say they can win eight games and, and the margin of error shouldn't be micro, right? You need more than a paper thin margin of error. Uh, you need urgency. And that, I think that's a thing all of us want to see from Billy is get to the podium and talk about the urgent need to win football games at Florida. I want to win yesterday. I need to win yesterday. I hate losing. I don't want to lose anymore. I want to win right now. I'm not going to sacrifice two years from now, Alan, to win right now, but you better believe I'm going to do all that I can to bring in all the talent I can to win right now. If you're a recruit out there, you're in the transfer portal, and you want to come win right now in the SEC at one of the best environments in the country, come right now to where I am playing, and you can earn yourself a spot. It doesn't feel like that's the message. All right. Let's go to the other part that's experienced a lot of upheaval recently is the coaching staff. So we've talked about who's left. Let's talk about who's coming in. Well, we still have some more people leaving, actually. But uh, Will Harris was named the new, I guess, secondary coach. Actually, I'm unclear about how much the secondary is coaching. Corners, safeties, who knows? We we don't know how that's distributed sure. yet, but certainly a back-end coach of some sort. Uh, so he gets hired away from the Chargers. Um, who fired their coach. True. He left just before. Yes. Horrible defense. Doesn't mean it's his fault, by the way. These are optics. These optics sure. matter, but sure. either way. There you go. And then the you already referenced him, the defensive line coach, Gerald Chapman from Tulane. So I don't know anything about either of these guys. Again, who? And this is no offense to these guys. Look, you have to up and come from somewhere. But if you're Florida, you're hiring guys that you're like, okay, well, he was an LSU interim defensive line guy. Then he was at Tulane. He spent some years in the NFL as an assistant. He's not necessarily the established 10-year SEC guy, but maybe he's a Super Bowler. And that's what I want to hope. I want to hope that's the case but again, for all the like, don't worry, check out who we're going to get. And that's no offense to either of these gentlemen. I hope they crush it and they're awesome. It's just the optics of it. It doesn't look like an obvious improvement to your football team, right? You're not like, wow, we're definitely way better now on the coaching staff. That's what I'm saying. For sure. And again, we'll, we'll have to take a wait and see approach with these guys. Their resumes are not bad. But no, they're, they're fine. Not, they're totally fine. Yeah, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing like, oh, well, I don't see why they would have hired this guy, but Again, you, you'd hope for superstars at position coaches, but that only really happens at a few places. Yeah, and really you need them to recruit really well. Right. And again, you want your DC to be the best teacher. So that this could be fine. Like, we don't know yet, but if you wanted some splash name, obviously 0 for 2 in a splash name. And then Mark Hockey, the strength and conditioning coach, has been transitioned to a different role, demoted. That was something there was a lot of scuttlebutt about. He's still, I guess it was not fired but it seems like there'll be a change in leadership to use some corporate lingo, which I think this is something... I don't know. It's hard to know about this, but because it doesn't, 
there's no metric to like calculate it, but there's a lot of noise that this was something that needed to happen. And that seemed like a big miss from the, um, kind of initial hiring process of Billy as he, as he came on board, that this was not a good fit or was not a productive hire. Yeah. And it seems like from what we know and what we've heard seemingly definitively that this was a a miss of a hire Mm -hmm. and that this, this needed to occur. Uh, To my opinion, demoting is not the right move. When you miss like this, you have to fire this person. Demoting only leaves a person that didn't do their job the way you wanted them to in the organization. And now if I come in and I'm new, I've got some guy potentially under me who used to, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. You have to let the guy, Hey, you know what? Look, didn't work out. Learn from what happened. Go rebuild yourself somewhere else. It's just really generally not great, Alan, to kind of leave that. It just doesn't work well for either party, for either party. But obviously there's some hope that the strength coach who Urban Meyer has identified a long time ago is the most important coach on your football team because he spends the most amount of time with your players. And people had identified that as a deficiency. And now here we are making this change, which I'm in favor of having a new strength coach. I, I question. And maybe Hawk Hawk really won't. And it's Hawk Hawk. He won't, won't stay too long anyway. He might already be searching for a spot. But yeah, you don't pay his buyout, I guess. But I, again, I don't think this was a UAA thing either where they're just like, no, you can't. No, and that's a, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, also from what we know, there was no blocking from the UAA of, of firing or moving this person out. Uh, often there's so many rumors to get started. And I can't know for sure, right? I'm not working at the UAA. I used to. I'm not there now. I mean, I can't tell you what actually happened, but uh, the dominoes would, would seem to me that is definitely not what is occurring from where I'm sitting. And uh, that's just not what Billy chose to do last year and chose to do it this year. I think that's the more realistic scenario. And then the big news from, I guess, today, Jay Bateman, a linebackers coach, leaves to be the DC at A&M. And there's some just stuff going on social media with uh, Ernest Graham, who's the dad of Miles Graham, our star linebacker recruit, top 50 guy. And Ernest Graham, a Gator legend. Yes. So this seemed to be just kind of wonky. Again, people leave after signing day. It's never great. Florida didn't do that with its other two coaches, but then didn't make swift enough hires. So you're seeing kind of the worst ends of both of these things where you don't want guys to leave just after signing day and be like, oh, you signed, too bad. That just won't fly in the modern college football. I think people will just leave. Um, so you want to be upfront about it. But this is just a – there's something wrong with the communication about this. I, I think this surprised people at Florida. I don't think this was a – you know, everybody knew about this and they just kind of kept it under wraps. Maybe some people did. But, yeah, the communication – I know some people at Florida just found about this on Twitter at the same time everybody else did. That's not great. And look, I think Bateman leaving for for DC at A&M makes sense. Right? Coaches are, sure. are trying to level up too. That That's not the problem here. I don't think he's escaping uh, at all. I don't, he's clearly not escaping like a what he thinks is a dumpster fire to get away, although it could be. He's not doing that because he got a huge promotion with a guy he's known for a long time in Mike Elko. They have a long personal relationship. So promotion, new coach, safety, security, top SEC school, lots of money. I mean, yes, that's a job you would take, even if Florida was in the midst of a national championship run next year. Yeah, He's going to take that job. Your linebacker's coach will leave to be the D.C. And that's what you want your coaches to do. So in that regard, fine. That's fine. And then, the again, the management of this stuff, Alan, it's like it's like Billy Napier is trying to put on an NBA case study of how not to manage an organization. Like, let's say that Bateman tells him at some point in time, at any point in time at all, before he actually makes the news public, 
you got to get out there and say, look, let me release this. I'm going to be the first one to say it. I'll congratulate you. You're leaving. Let me get ahead of it. Let me tell everyone that matters. Let me tell all the stakeholders that matter. Let me tell the players, right? Let's have this first. Instead, almost everyone seemingly finds out on social media. And what question does that raise? The heck is going on? Does anyone know what is happening? It's a fair question. Yeah. Not a good look. And again, as isolated incidents, these are somewhat understandable, but when you fire two coaches and maybe they need to be fired because they weren't aligned to the organizational like priorities. But when you fire guys a couple out from, you know, a couple weeks out from signing day and you don't replace them immediately, that has to have a negative effect on every part of your organization. And again, the, the CFB calendar is terrible. It's so stupid, but it is what it is. And you have to manage that better too. Yeah, we had mentioned, we teed that up, right? I talked about it being seven or eight days last time we were on the pod. And to to think that we went all the way basically to signing day. The most, not only the most crucial time in the recruiting calendar in general, but an absolute watershed moment, a pivotal moment in Billy Napier's career at Florida. And you decide to go into that period, basically missing two of your lieutenants. Is insane insane is, is someone not sitting around the round table with him saying hey you know what press the pause button there how about we don't fire anyone until after the offseason and look let's say you got a guy who's dragging his feet in recruiting he's not recruiting a certain guy hard enough well you know what you get in there and recruit that guy hard enough and get yourself through signing day because what you can't do is have high schoolers and their handlers and their coaches and opposing coaches saying hey you want to go to florida and play corner who's going to be your coach you want to play safety who's going to be your coach and they go back and they ask billy napier who's going to be our coach i don't know trust the process we don't know yet. Working to meet someone great, you're going to love them. Or D line, you got guys on social media. Who's the next coach? I don't know. I don't know anything more than you know. I mean, you can all you. These are bad looks, Alan. These are bad looks. And like you said, if it was just one time, you're like, hey, you know what? We're humans. But it's like Florida special teams. Each week, they surprised you with something new and different and bad. <laughs> and that's what keeps happening here. It's just hard. It's hard. You keep trying to find a way. I wanted to. I want to defend this. I want to find a reason why this works. But man, the organization is just not being well run. And that is the clear hypothesis. And if it doesn't turn around quickly and you don't start getting a bunch of wins, then, you know, the writing's on the wall. Well, again, this is like, it just compounds, right? So if the recruiting cost doesn't budge, you go, no big deal. Right. That's fine. Still working there. Okay. All right. Anything else you want to mention in the coaching section? We'll talk about Willie Corn just for a second. So there's a rumor that Liberty's OC is going to potentially become Florida's OC. I've got a bunch of great research ready on him, but we're not going to talk about it until that actually becomes something because why waste our time if it's not going to happen? If it does happen, I've got stats and data and tons of stuff on you for you on Liberty and what he's done and what it looks like, whether he matters or not, or whether it's Jamie um, Chadwell or not. So We'll save that, though, because, again, that's not official. We don't know yet. No need to get ahead of ourselves. We'll wait for that to happen. Okay. Let's talk about some fun stuff, some of these bowl results, some wacky bowl results as we shift towards the end of the program. Yeah, we'll do wacky bowl results. We'll do live reads, and then we'll hit on Alan. I'm going to ask you that that question before we get into the the future bowl preps about where are you with Billy Napier's Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, Army Navy, this occurred obviously a week or so ago. Army was favored by two and a half. They beat Navy 17, 11. You got that pick correct. I got that pick wrong. Yeah, go Army. Right. There you go. Myrtle Beach Bowl, Georgia Southern. Unfortunately, your mom's alma mater takes a beat down to Ohio 41, 21. 
Yeah, I don't think that's surprising, but you know, I had to go home or pick. You did, sure. yeah. Yeah, you gave me a free one there with Ohio. Thank you. R&L Carriers, New Orleans Bowl, Jacksonville State takes care of Louisiana in overtime, 34-31. Gets I'm the sure cover. this was the barn burner. So yeah, I watched there. a few minutes of that one. It was definitely back and forth. Avocados from Mexico Cure Bowl. Good Lovely. stuff. They're in Orlando, Florida. Appalachian State, three and a half point favorites over Miami of Ohio, and they get it done 13 to 9. Yeah, both of us were on Miami after some previous results, but App State, there you go. 13 9, Slugfest. Uh, the Isleta New Mexico Bowl in Albuquerque. New Mexico State essentially playing at home, favored by three, gets clapped by Fresno State, clapped. 37 to 10. Yeah, I mean, this is these games where, like, you asked me, I have zero clue. Any, there's no surprising score in any of these early games. None. Beat down, though. All right, the L.A. Bowl, Boise State taking on UCLA. UCLA handles business 35-22. Yeah, I picked Boise State here because they had really done well since they fired their coach, and UCLA seemed to be treading water. But there you go, UCLA. Chip Kelly entering year seven at UCLA, recruited a robust 60th. Yep. This cycle. USC, by the way, Lincoln Riley in at 19th. So, hey, if you're Lincoln Riley, you know what's not as easy as when you're at Oklahoma? Recruiting. Because Oklahoma recruits itself for the most part. USC, it's like Florida. A little bit harder to recruit. Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. Texas Tech destroys Cal 34-14. Yeah. Mm. I just would burn by Texas Tech and I went against them and that was a mistake. Yeah. The famous Toastery Bowl in Charlotte, North Carolina, where Western Kentucky beats Old Dominion 38-35. What a game. Yes. I wish I'd watched some of it. Scooters Coffee Frisco Bowl in Frisco, Texas. Marshall versus UTSA happened yesterday. UTSA wins 35-17. They're a fun program right now, so good for them. Thus far, that means you and I are tied. Hmm. Tied at 8-11 and 11 as we get the postseason. That's all us. the championship games plus the bowl games thus far. A robust 8-11. and 11. All right, it is live read time. Get ready. Bum, bum, bum. AG1, sponsoring the podcast this season. We're thankful for them. And they are, of course, your daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports your entire body health. It is not just a greens drink, although it is green. It mixes multiple things together. It is a one-stop shop for your supplements. And it also tastes surprisingly nice. I must say that is definitely true. I enjoy drinking it in the morning before breakfast as it basically makes me feel like I've gotten everything I need to start my day optimally. If a comprehensive solution is what you need and want from your supplement routine, then try AG1 today and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your purchase. Simply go to drinkag1.com GNFP. That's drinkag one dot com slash gnfp check it out and alan let's change up the order here tell us one more time for 2023 about our friend josh judy and fearless salary negotiation love to so if you're feeling a job offer and you're a high earner this is your dude okay uh the dude no pun intended there uh, we talk all the time about using a mix of optimal and exploitive strategy to get the best possible result for every situation and that philosophy works on and off the field. And our longtime friend, Josh Judy, AKA Stat Boy, can help you find the perfect strategy to optimize your next job offer. So he's worked with all types of people from ex- all types of experienced professionals, from Fortune 5 companies like Google to startups to hospitals, everything in between. So if you're a high earner who's looking to make a move soon, you should absolutely work with Josh to negotiate your job offer to make sure that when you put your head on your pillow, after that first day at your new job, you know you didn't leave anything on the table and can 
and your compensation package is as good as it can be. You can find Josh over at fearlesssalarynegotiation.com. Click that one, get one-on-one help button to learn more about his coaching offering and make sure to tell him that you heard about him on the pod. Fearlesssalarynegotiation.com is where to go when you want to be absolutely sure you're getting paid what you're worth. All right. Lastly, Corey Amira and Amira Custom Homes. So the good news about Corey Amira and Amira Custom Homes is you get to draft your own team and you get a choice of all the materials that you could possibly want in any project design you want. There's no restriction. There's no NIL. There's no other coaches trying to steal your players. You can build your dream home from start to finish. And Corey Amira, the founder of Amira Custom Homes, will be with you from start to finish. So the head coach essentially is working with you the entire time, and he can build any home that you want. There is no style he cannot do on his website, amiracustomhomes.com. You can see his portfolio. And of course, he would love to work with fellow Gators as he tends to work in Alachua, High Springs, Gainesville, Jonesville, Newberry, Fort White, and Trenton. So he's in the Alachua County area. If you are looking for a custom home, Corey Amira is your guy. As all of you know by now, he has been basically in this industry from birth. He has all the experience that you need, and he's a fellow fan of the podcast. Check out some of his custom builds at amiracustomhomes.com. That's amiracustomhomes.com. Bull prep time, Alan. But first... okay. But first, let's revisit the Billy Napier question. Okay. So what I'd said to you, scale of 1 to 10, this is November, early November, before the gauntlet of the five games, where were you with Billy Napier in sort of future expectation that, you know, you're satisfied, you might make it. And I think you were at a 7, if I recall, and I was at a 5. Right. And I was at neutral, and I wanted to see what happened for six weeks, and you were at 7, and you wanted to see what happened for I six was weeks. optimistic. Correct. So now, having seen that and where we are right now today, where are you on your meter of confidence in Napier being the guy? I would say a three, and that's maybe high, but there's enough there that I'm I'm intrigued, right? So again, I just so very much don't want to fire a coach and do this all again. Uh, I think my appetite for that has waned considerably <laughs> watching us walk through this over and over again. And yeah, it just puts you in a bad cycle. I don't want to deal with it. And there's enough hope for me there, right? That Billy can navigate his way through this if, if given enough time. And you've seen some places that have been patient and they've been rewarded. Again, if you're not seeing anything that you want, then it's kind of a, a dumb thing to keep moving forward. I th- do think Billy's had a really tough hand. And again, he could have easier schedules. He could be coming off back-to-back eight, nine win games. We wouldn't have him being at this conversation at all. And so that's just his misfortune in his rebuild. He's got to deal with that. And again, there's a lot of misfires we're, and we're, we're scrutinizing this heavily, probably more than most programs have been scrutinized historically are the ones you know that are happening now. But I do think he can get it done recruiting there's enough there that goes, maybe this could turn into something. So I'll say three. Okay. Three seems fair. Yeah. I'm at a, I'm at a 0.5. Okay. And I'm not at a zero because he does have lagway. He does have some top end players on the team and it's not the end of three years yet. So 
I've gotten the question a couple of times is, is Billy Napier, is he Florida's Willie Taggart? No, I think they're fundamentally different guys, but you know what he is right now? He's the worst coach Florida's hired in the modern era. Record wise, certainly. Correct. Now, is that entirely fair? I don't think so. If you put him, if I you think basically you have to equate, drop him into McElwain years, correct. does he crush it? I don't know if he crushes it. But he's probably similar. That. Right, exactly. I agree. And that's why it's not fair to say that. So yeah, sure, record-wise, heap on it, it's right. But if you put McElwain with the schedule that Napier's had, I mean, what happens? He's basically, though, in, in the bottom bucket right now. That's the reality. You can split hairs and rank them all sure. you want. He's in the bottom bucket, and he's got to find a way to call himself out of the bottom bucket. And I'm not at a zero because he has one year left in the three-year test. But seemingly everything he's wanted to go right has not gone right. He is not inspiring confidence. He's not inspiring confidence with his words, with his actions, with what's happening. There is not a lot to hang your hat on. And we have a murderer's row next year. So for me, yesterday was writing on the wall Wednesday. And it certainly feels like the writing is on the wall for Billy Napier. Mm -hmm. And I hope... I hope he finds a way to work himself out of it and that next season we find a way to get positive momentum we, and we find a way to make it work. But right now, if you gave me a choice, would I trade Billy Napier for Lane Kiffin? I would do it. And I would not have done that two years ago because Lane Kiffin still, you know, what's he going to be like? What's his behavior like? How is he going to behave in the NIL era? Uh, but man, I would do it. And I would do it knowing that Lane Kiffin may not be a championship winning coach, but you know what is inspiring me some, Alan? Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. Mm. Similar rehab guy to Lane. Gets another shot at a big program. Recruiting well. And if I hire Lane, I'm hiring a GM. And I'm saying, I'm going to go after these guys. I'm going to get up to NFL model and let Lane, who clearly recruits well when he wants to talk to certain players, right? He's got that down, but I'm going to get a GM. Target guys, full personnel department. If I give Lane talent, he can win. And I'm looking at Jed Fish, obviously. We'll yeah. see what Fish does this year, but those are guys. Now, would I trade Billy Napier for Jed Fish right now? No, I want to see one more year. But I'm at the point where I would right now make the Lane Kiffin for well, there's, Billy yeah. Napier swap. And, and and I hate that I'm even saying that because I, I, you know, I don't want to be in this place. But it's just at some point you need your coaches to give you something to believe in. And there's not a lot to hang your hat on right now. Yeah, it's... There's also just the pure dollars of this, like buying out Billy Napier and then buying out Lane right. Kiffin. And that's like, imagining that money's right. not a factor, by the way. So yes, just like a, a hypothetical, a, just would you swap switch? these two people? Like would I swap Kirby Smart for Billy Napier? Obviously, yeah, immediately, right? So I would I would swap Lane. I would I would swap Lane. Okay. I don't, I, I'd have to think about it, but I probably would do the same. Okay. But there we go. I don't know. All right. So, you know, wherever you guys are, different levels, zero, 10, five, whatever. Uh, we're all in this together. There's probably not anybody <laughs> who's above five. I'll say that. Oh boy, I can't imagine anybody's above a five. I mean, that would be wild at this point in time. That would just be ignoring all the realities. All right, bull prep time. Let's you do ready? it. Can't wait. More good stuff. All right, today. Let me start off with this. Yeah, today. Let's go. Let's do it. So if you listen to this like right now, you'll hear this picture. You're in. Okay, the roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl, South Florida versus Syracuse, who's favored by three. Oh, I'm going to go with uh, Florida teams don't want to play in Florida at their own home stadium. They're bored. They're not interested. I'll go Syracuse. I will too. There's some momentum around Syracuse right now. I don't know if that translates to this game on Saturday or Saturday, Thursday, but there it is. All right. Friday night, the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa. 
UCF favored by five versus Georgia Tech. I'm going to do the same thing here. Georgia Tech not playing in their home state. UCF playing in their home state. <laughs> I'm going to take Georgia Tech. Both these teams are highly unpredictable. This is just a homer pick. I'll join you on Georgia Tech there. All right, on Saturday. You can't pick UCF. That just also no, feels wrong. No, yeah, exactly. Wrong. Hey, come on. Okay, uh, Saturday. Let's start off with the Birmingham Bowl. In Birmingham, of course. Duke versus Troy. He's favored by seven and a half. Is that no, Mike Elko. Yeah. Troy won the championship, obviously. So Did they lose their, is their coach already gone too? Yeah, I think they're both gone. Um, it's a coachless bowl. I, I, I mean, seven and a half though. I'm going to go Duke. Yeah. Why not? That, that hook got me there. The set of the point five. Okay. The Camellia bowl, Arkansas state minus three versus Northern Illinois. Whenever you get a chance, whenever I get a chance to go Salukis, I go Salukis. You do? Northern Illinois. Yeah, give me Arkansas State. Red Wolves. All right. The Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth. James Madison, minus two versus Air Force. Anytime I can pick a president as my choice, I'm going to do it. Dude, uh, James Madison has been quietly one of the best stories this year. The fact they got to play in a bowl is great. Outrageous. Super great. I love it. All right. Both of us on James. Okay, there. there you go. Let's go. All right, famous Idaho Potato Bowl in Boise, of course. Utah State minus two and a half versus Georgia State. I know this, you studied this. This feels too far away from Georgia. <laughs> this is the reverse of your Utah's. Other one? Yeah, Utah. It's not in their home state, but it's close. So I'm going to go you? Utah State. <laughs> All right. Yeah, sure. Let me join you there. That's great. All right, I love that. The '68 Ventures Bowl. Mm. What do you think this is? It could be '67 Ventures. Uh, I, I have no idea. Well, it's in Mobile, Alabama. There you yeah. go. So hometown team, South Alabama, favored by 17 versus Eastern Michigan. That's a huge That's number, a big number for a bowl game. And uh, I'm going to I'm gonna believe in that. I will South too. Alabama. There's a reason it's so big. I have no idea why. But, yeah, yeah, it's too big. All right. SRS distribution, Las Vegas Bowl. Northwestern, who had a surprisingly great season versus Utah, who's favored by six and a half. So I think neither of these schools, I think, are too likely to like be tempted by Las Vegas. Uh, Utah <laughs> seems like they won't be at all. So I'm going to pick Utah. Yeah, Utah just, I, I don't know. Northwestern could be competitive in this game. Utah's not obviously like, you know, flying high, but they still want to be there, I think. All right, the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl. Coastal Carolina versus San Jose State. Favored by 10 and a half. Does that feel big to you? This is a tough one because both of these schools are on the coast. And so it's like, well, they're not going to be in a place where they're just distracted. Who's, more, who's more focused? Since you have no idea about the team. No, I love it. I think Coastal I Carolina, it. though, kind of a halfway across the world. I think they're like, listen, 10 and a half points. I didn't fly all the way across the world. lose by more than that. I'm taking Coastal Carolina. Um, I have no idea. San Jose State. Let's do it. Good pick. Good I'm pick. riding you. All right. It. Tuesday. December 26th, the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit. That's the place I don't want to go, I think. Bowling Green versus Minnesota, who's favored by three and a half. Yeah, I think both of these schools are disappointed to still be up north. So this is a really hard one to pick because <laughs> I just travel rubric is I so don't, good. I don't think it's that so they good. I don't think they want to be there at all. Uh but you know, I think I think Minnesota's in general have a healthy distaste for Michiganers, and I think they want to win in the state of Michigan. So I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> I'll, I'll do Minnesota as well. I love it. All right. The Serve Pro First Responder Bowl in Dallas, Texas State versus Rice. What do you what do you do here? I don't know. This Double is Texas. This I can't. I don't have you a have no rubric. I have no rubric. Uh so I five and a half, those are weird spreads. Yeah, I mean Texas State can get that. I'm gonna go Texas State. I'm, 
landed on rice, baby. Do that one for me. Like that. Like that. The guaranteed rate ball in Phoenix, Kansas, 12 and a half versus UNLV. All right. UNLV used to the temperature and weather in Phoenix, which I think disappoints them. Kansas is like, man, this is awesome. It's warm. I'm out of Kansas. I'm favored by 12 and a half. Yeah, they're going to get that. I like Kansas here. UNLV has been a nice story, but I think they're out of their league here. All right. On the 27th, let's start with the military bowl presented by GoBowling.com. Go check out that side, I guess. And this is in Annapolis, Maryland. Virginia Tech, fair by 10.5 versus Tulane. Coachless Tulane. Yeah. In transition, traveling up to a neighboring, you know, Virginia Tech, neighboring to Maryland. It's close, but not in their state. I'm going to go Virginia Tech. I'll join you. One of my faves, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, because the coach gets dumped with Mayo afterward. In Charlotte, North Carolina versus West Virginia. West Virginia favored by six and a half. Obvious, obvious here. North Carolina and home state, they, they can't possibly win this game. So West Virginia. I guess no Drake May in this game, probably. I'll go West Virginia too, although it feels weird. All right. Direct TV Holiday Bowl in San Diego, USC versus Louisville, who's favored by seven and a half. What do you think here? This is your travel. I don't think USC wants to play this game. I don't either. At all. And again, they're close to home. Nobody cares. Louisville cares. This is a marquee game no for them. No Caleb Williams in this game. This is a marquee game for them. Yeah. I'm taking Louisville. Yeah, same. I wish that number wasn't as high. but I'll That is it. too high. But I, I think the, the the Vegas, they know. They know what's up. All right. We've been together on a lot of these here. Okay. We're either going to have a great record or a terrible record. All right. Tax Act, Texas Bowl. Oklahoma State versus Texas A&M. Favored by two. I mean, layup mode here. Taking Oklahoma State. Although, if I wasn't doing my geographical picks, I would take AM because I do think teams that get a new coach that like they start to rally around feel inspired to like play hard. It's weird, but I think that's true. But I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna violate the state rule. I'm taking Oklahoma State. Yeah, the Gundys want this game. It's they 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 like to style themselves as better than AM, I think. Like or do you oh, see yeah. them as a that's direct like competitor? Their, yeah, I agree. It is a direct competitor. All right. Okay, very nice. Thursday, the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. The ponies of SNU fared by 11 versus Boston College. I mean, I say no more, SMU. Yeah, deal. Boston College, I'm not just, a fan. I'm saying anything else in general. It's in, it's right. in Boston. I don't, they don't want to play in that game. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bad boy mowers, pinstripe ball at Yankee Stadium. Miami minus one versus Rutgers. Yeah, Rutgers not happy to be there. I mean, they're you know, they're happier than being in New Jersey, obviously. But uh, still not that happy. So Miami. I think Miami lays an egg. Rutgers Rex, Rex picks up the yeah, win. I hope they do. I love when that happens, but uh, all right. I like it. All right. The Pop-Tarts Bowl. You ready for the Pop-Tarts Bowl? I'm ready. It's in Orlando. NC State versus Kansas State, who's favored by two and a half. I think Kansas State in general probably eats more Pop-Tarts than people in North Carolina, um, and therefore I think they're more excited to be in this game. So I'm definitely taking K-State. I'll do K-State as well. Yeah, good choice. <laughs> S'mores Pop-Tarts, by the way, are fire. If you haven't had those, pick mm. them up. Yeah. The Valero Alamo Bowl in San Antonio. Arizona favored by three versus Oklahoma. What do you think in this game? So Arizona favored. This is the first bowl game we've hit on that I'm actually, I'm, yeah. I want to watch this yeah. game. I think both coaches want to win this game. Jedfish definitely wants to win this game. And Venables mm-hmm. wants to win on a high note. And I, look, I'm going to, I'm going to ride the Florida grad train. Let's do it. And Jedfish right here. Yeah. Oklahoma, no Dylan Gabriel. Yep. So yep. there we go. All right. Friday, December 29th, the tax layer Gator bowl just North of us here. Clemson minus four versus Kentucky. Certainly Kentucky wants this game as much as humanly possible because they'll try to use this as some sort of momentum game. I think Clemson, you know, their season was disappointing. I, I can't believe in anything Kentucky does, and I, I refuse to pick them, so I'll pick Clemson. I'll join you there. I, yeah, I think Clemson 
wants this enough. They're 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 in a place where they would want to be there enough. I think. All right, Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl in El Paso, Notre Dame, favored by six and a half versus Oregon State. I'm taking Notre Dame. I, I feel like the. You know, Oregon State, RIP, their program, the wheels are off. They're left without a dance partner. It's mm-hmm. sad, and I just think their their minds are elsewhere. Yeah, I'll join you there with Notre Dame. Sun Bowl's always wild, though, so be careful there. AutoZone Liberty Bowl, Memphis versus Ohio State. Excuse me, Iowa State. Yeah, the, the clones are the like, clones man, get me out of Iowa. It's not Florida where I'd like to be or California or Hawaii, but it's certainly not Iowa. And Memphis, and Memphis is, at is at home. They don't want to be there. Iowa State. Uh, I'll join you with that, I think. All right. The Goodyear Cotton Bowl in Arlington, Texas, of course. Missouri versus Ohio State. Is Ohio State favored by one now? Can Ohio State field a football team if all their players transferred? Like, what's what's that look like? I know Missouri was walk-ons? favored at one point. You yeah. know, which was which was wild to see. But we can make it a pick 'em. But I mean, obviously, like all of Ohio State seemingly is transferring and uninterested in this game. But you know, I think I think all right, this is down to Ohio State point five. Okay, Does well, that change it for you? No, I mean, I you know, I mean, I think both of these teams want to win this game. I think Ryan Day needs to win a game, and I think for Missouri, you're like this is house money. Let's let's beat an Ohio State team that's limping around. It most of their best players are not going to play. They have an offensive problem anyway. I'm going to take Missouri. Wow. That's kind of that's crazy. I'll, I'll go Missouri as well. Can they do it? Yeah, I think they can. All right. The Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl on Saturday the 30th. We got Ole Miss versus Penn State, who's favored by four. I thought Penn State's fraudulent all year long. I don't like their team. They played an easy schedule. I'm taking Ole Miss. Yeah. Let's do it. Lane train. Transfer, trans-perfect Music City Bowl. In Nashville, of course, Auburn favored by seven versus Maryland. Auburn, a big winner on signing day. Yeah, by They're the way. They're back in it. Yep, Hugh Freeze does what he does. That's what you do. You win on signing day, get some momentum, make things happen, steal Florida players, pay more. Well done. I have to take the Terps here. It's bowl season. Go Terps. Yeah, give me those, Give me War Eagle, Tigers. That's this is going to be a fun one, though. Yeah, I'd watch smart play. One. That's a smart play. I'd pick Auburn, I think, if I was really not making the homer pick. All right, this one, I'm just ready. To, I'm so locked and loaded on this one. Capital yep. One Orange Bowl. In Miami. Yep. Georgia favored by 14 versus Florida State. Does that 14 scare you? No, they'll win by 100. I'm taking Georgia. Yes. Florida State, everybody's out and out. Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl, Toledo versus Wyoming. Wyoming favored by three and a half. You know, anytime you get a chance to play it, to pick a team that wears brown and yellow jerseys, yeah. I think you have to. And I'm going to do it. Um, I have no idea. I'll have to go Wyoming. All right. On the first, here we go. Monday the 1st, let's start with the ReliaQuest Bowl in Tampa. LSU, minus 10 versus Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin always plays in Florida, and they tend to always do well in bowl games. LSU, Jaden Daniels, what's mm-hmm. he doing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. He can't play in this I game, can he? In this game. Yeah, I'm going to go Wisconsin. All right, I'll do LSU. That's probably the better pick. All right. The Verbo Fiesta Bowl in Glendale, Liberty versus Oregon, just favored by 17 and a half. Hmm, man, this is like the team with crushed dreams getting a small opponent. Uh, this is typically good for the small opponent. I'll take Liberty. Me too. I like Chadwell. Fun fact Liberty ran the ball 70% of the time this season, 70% running, 30% passing. There's, okay. a, there's a fun fact for you. 
All right, the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl in Orlando again. Iowa versus Tennessee, who's favored by eight and a half. I cannot tell you how happy this makes me because you know you know what you can't spell. You can't spell citrus without UT. You can't James. spell citrus without UT. <laughs> it never great. makes me sad. They should never want to go here just it because It never of that. makes me sad. All right, this is, a, this is actually a very fascinating matchup. Of course, all of you know I love Tennessee's wide splits as a concept in football going up against a really, really good Iowa defense. How does that match up? in a bowl game where maybe things aren't as solid, but if Tennessee can't beat an Iowa team that really shouldn't score against them in a bowl game, then, you know, by more than eight and a half, then what's happening. So I'm taking Tennessee. Yeah. Same. Okay. Here we go. Playoff games. We're here. The Rose bowl featuring number one, Michigan, who's favored by two. I cannot believe that against Alabama. I cannot believe that. How, how good conscious could you pick Michigan? They might win, but I I cannot believe that I'm taking Alabama. Yeah, of course. I mean, just if you just do SEC versus anybody else, just that metric. Yeah, talent I mean, alone. I mean, Alabama is much more talented. And I like this than Michigan team. Michigan, a, Michigan's a, super veteran, but you know, largely untested. And this Alabama matchup is the worst for them. They would and, much rather play either of the other two teams. And you'd never want to face Nick Saban with this much no. time to prepare. Like you'd much rather face him in a title game because he has all of the, all of his energy is focused on. And I'd like Michigan. to see Michigan win. I think it's the yeah. Same. I mean, I, I want to see Bama win. I'm sick of Bama winning. Yeah. All right. This is the one I want to watch for sure. The Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Washington versus Texas, who's favored by four and a half. Yeah, I mean, I think Texas is going to win this game. I think Washington, veteran team, nice team. I I think they're going to run up to a team that has a lot more talent that's also a quality football team here. I think this line feels low to me, but I'm definitely rooting for Washington. I've been rooting for them all year long, but I'm taking Texas. Yeah, I'd love to see Washington win, but I'll take Texas as well. I think they're a more well-rounded team, but Washington has some of that magic. All right, that gives us Bama versus Texas in the final. Alan, who you got? I mean, it feels dumb because I would pick Bama, I think. All right, I'm taking Texas. You know, I'd said early on in the year that Texas looked like a team that was going to win the national title this year. Then Quinn Ewers got hurt, kind of lost my mojo with them, but I'm back on that train. I think this is the year for Texas to win. It'd be a true, crazy comeback story for Sark, a, a real redemption story, at least right now for him. So there we go. There are our playoff picks, and there are all the bull picks, and that leaves just one person's picks remaining, our good friend Daytona Steve. Yeah, he's got four different ones here. He does. Why don't you read them out to us, Alan? Do hit we us, just want to post us. them? Do you want to hit them all? No, just hit them real quick. They're fast. They're okay. fast. Just hit them with what you got. All right, so he's got 163 bucks left after the regular season. And he's hoping here to make some money all in right. the bowl season for Christmas gifts and New Year's gifts for his friends. The number one number one is the very random bowl game parlay. And these are random. So on the money lane for all these, he's taking Northern Illinois, South Alabama, San Jose State, and Texas State. Bet Love 20 it. to win 74. So there's total random. Number two, best bowl game I like this one. Parlay. This is my favorite one of his. Idaho yeah. Bowl, Utah State, Dukes Mayo, West Virginia, Pop-Tarts, mm-hmm. NC State, Tony the Tiger, Notre Dame. If you bet 20, you're getting 130. Tony the Tigers. I love Tony yep. the Tiger Sun Bowl. That's such so a good, good. One. New Year's Eve weekend parlay. It's a fun one, obviously. You're going to watch yeah. these games. You want to take them in. All on the money line. You got Arizona, Clemson, Georgia, LSU, Oregon. 20 to win 62. That's, you know, it's not not big there, but. Yeah. Um, and then the New Year's Day playoff parlay. He likes Tennessee, LSU, Oregon, Texas, and Alabama. It's 25 to win it, 118. So Daytona Steve loves this time of year. He loves all the bowl games. He's just ripping cigs down the track, watching on all the TVs, betting, 
He's got in game. He's just going crazy. Yeah, I mean, in between Greyhound races, yeah. he's got football. He's got he's got yeah. both bets going at the same time, killing it. I mean, it's his it's his it's his Christmas. Yeah, and hopefully he has enough money to drive himself home at the yeah. end of all of it. Uh, Daytona, if you're out there, if you get tight on cash, you we know some guys in Daytona. Maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see what we can do for you, uh, or just lay off a few cigs, save a few bucks. Yep. All right, basketball update. How do you feel about the b-ball team, Alan? Big win over Michigan, double yeah, OT. Man, really? Definitely needed, right? I mean, they they have two wins here. It's like they're not dominating anybody, though. But so how do you looks, feel? Looks like they'll get to 10-3 and three heading into conference play, which is good. You know, I think you'd really like to have one of those wins of mm-hmm. between Virginia and Wake Forest. Yep. I think if you had sure. one of those back, you'd feel really great headed into conference play. You know, the open with Kentucky is going to be a big test. This team is hard to get a handle on. They've been really up and down. Mm-hmm. Looked really good at times. Looked not so great at times. I, I think that's going to be that's going to be them all year. But if they get hot at any point, they're going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, undefeated when they've had all of their pieces. Okay, so they have not lost a game when all the starters have been there, which is good. It's it's so much more fun than the Mike White era because this team scores the basketball. Yeah, their issue is free throw shooting and defense. And ideally, you have you have to play good defense to win titles. and turnovers. Yeah, that's the same same yeah same concept with right that leads to bad defense. But but yeah, you know you have to make free throws, take care of the basketball. Obviously, you have to play better defense than what Florida does. But I would much rather take a team that's scoring the eighties if, if if this is going to be like a bubble team than one that's scoring in the sixties. Totally, they are they are fun to watch play, even if it's frustrating with what they do. If they can figure some of those things out, they've scored against everyone and. And I mean, absolutely everyone. They've lit the scoreboard up on. So it's like they can score. If and they can clean did, some stuff up, they can You would dangerous. hope to defensively, the more you play together, the more you can kind of get a little more cohesiveness. That There does seem some upside there. You get some development from some of these younger guys. Absolutely. So Yeah, and I hope see. so. I like them. They're fun to watch. I think right now they look just like we thought they'd be in the beginning, like a 7-9 to nine seed, like kind of right on the edge all year long. I think they could exceed that, but that's what they look like. So we'll see. We'll find out what they're made of when we enter conference play. We should have a couple easy wins to get there, as you mentioned. All right, that brings us to the end of this program and really the end of our season for 2023. We'll be back in 2024, of course, in January. But despite the difficulty in this fall season, we have so enjoyed bringing this to you, and we hope you have enjoyed it as well. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We covered a lot of stuff. Probably could have spent an hour talking more about state of the program stuff, but we have the whole off season to follow and discuss those developments. Uh, Alan, thanks for being by my side this season. It's been just an amazing journey. Another fun one. Nine years in the books as we enter into this off season. Have a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Have a wonderful New Year's Eve and New Year. And we will see you in 2023.